Welcome to The Real Python Podcast. This is episode 121. What's the big breakthrough for natural language processing? That is dramatically advanced machine learning into deep learning. What makes these transformer models unique? And what defines attention? This week on the show, Jody Birchall, developer advocate for data science at JetBrains, continues our talk about how machine learning models understand and generate text. This episode is a continuation of the conversation in episode 119. Jody builds on the concepts of bag of words and word to vec and simple embedding models. We talk about the breakthrough mechanism called attention, allowing for parallelization in building models. We also discuss the two major transformer models, BERT and GPT-3. And along the way, Jody continues to share multiple resources to help you continue exploring modeling and NLP with Python. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Jody, welcome back. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here again. Yeah, yeah, we're going to continue our conversation. We dug pretty deep into the first sort of two techniques of understanding text Mm -hmm. using these data science techniques and then also giving people lots of resources for doing that with Python. And now we're kind of building on top of those two techniques of was bag of words models and then sort of word to vec. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ready to dig into our, our next level. Yeah. Where we left off with word to vec was that we were taking every single word in a set of documents and converting it into a vector. And some of you may have been wondering, well, well, what happens when a word has different meanings in different contexts? So let's say something like a riverbank versus Bank of England. Well, the problem is, as much as I love my wonderful word to vec, it's a bit stupid on that account and it can't tell the difference between them. So Hmm. all meanings of a word will just be collapsed on the same token. And this can obviously cause problems when those meanings of the word are quite different. So not, not always the best. What the newer models are attempting to take into account, and we're talking now about the current generation of models that are being used, is the total context for a word in a sentence or a paragraph. Okay. So going beyond this like little window that we were doing inside word to vec which was maybe the three or four words that this word is around, more phrase-like, mm-hmm. now we're kind of going into like a full sentence or more. Yeah, exactly. So let's like uh, take like a really classic example. So let's say we have the sentences, I want to go to France at the end of this year. I was thinking of enrolling in some courses and picking up some new skills. So now I want to learn. What would you complete that as, Chris? 
<laughs> how to cook. <laughs> That's why I would go to France. <laughs> uh, true, actually, true. So what we're hoping the model would predict is French, though. Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe maybe the model is tricking me. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> That's example. good. Yeah, I, I want to yeah. learn the language, yeah. <laughs> so obviously, you know, you kind of need to understand the context right from the beginning of this sequence in order to infer that we're trying to get that, you know, prediction of French or learning to cook could also make sense. So the original approaches tried to basically go along a sentence or a paragraph word by word in the exact same way that you would read it left to right or right to left, depending on the language, Mm. and kind of like develop this little memory for what the model had already seen. The hope would be the model could remember this French, uh, sorry, this France that had seen right at the beginning and then go, ah, okay, I need to output something related to that. And, you know, the, the logic was sound. These original models called recurrent neural nets and then there was a sort of special version of those called long short-term memory models. But the problem is, in practice, they didn't actually work that well. And there were two reasons for this. The first is that like after around 20 words, this memory started failing in the models and pretty much information from the beginning of the sequence was forgotten. So in this phrase that I said, it definitely would have forgotten France by the time it got to the word that it needed to predict. And it would probably be like, I want to learn to swim or something. Like, hmm. what? I'm, I'm trying to think of like why it's losing that. Like, what is it mm. that it, um, is it the amount of actual quote unquote memory or is it just, it got too complex thinking about all the contexts of everything coming after it, that it lost all its meaning? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's for a very technical reason and I'll sort of try to, uh, explain it in a simple way. Okay. So basically these models, they have a lot of different layers and you sort of do transformations of the data at each layer. And these particular models were using a uh, transformation that sort of squashed the data. And it meant that the deeper and deeper these models got, as you sort of tried to send data like back through in order to train, it just got so squashed that that there was no signal anymore. Um, It's Mm. what's called the vanishing gradient problem. And yeah, the complexity of the model was just kind of too big and, you know, you just couldn't send information all the way back through and and set the weights properly. The other reason actually, though, that these models kind of lost popularity was like a practical reason. You can imagine because you're processing sequentially, you can't actually scale that well because as the length of your sequence increases, you're processing costs and times also grow and you can't parallelize that entire thing. So you can imagine you're trying to feed in like these huge sequences and train these really big models. It's not very attractive. Okay. So it can't, you know, the the advantage of paralyzing, um, parallelizing, I always mess that word up. Um, (laughs) I missed the extra L in there. Um, Uh It, uh, the problem is that it, it has to keep, all of that in one process to, to know its relationships. It could potentially do, you know, a paragraph over mm-hmm. here, a paragraph over there, but they're mm-hmm. not going to necessarily be able to share the the context with each other. No. Okay. No, they can't. So this is, yeah, like 
a pretty huge problem, especially when you start thinking about the size of these models and the fact that like the reason we've been able to get a lot of gains with deep learning models is because of this parallelization and training. So there was a paper that came out a few years back called Attention is All You Need. And this basically rocked the natural language processing community to its core. What it proposed was a mechanism that's called attention, was was already known, but it sort of proposed using it in a new way to basically solve all of these issues and create models that can learn about the context in which words occur, but in a way that can be parallelized. So I'm going to give a very dumbed down <laughs> explanation okay. of attention. That's totally fine. Yeah, sure. I think I think it's for the best. I, to keep people uh, paying attention. <laughs> oh God, I I went through so many iteration of this, guys. Like I really I I tried my best to like explain it, and I'm like, you just can't. It's just yeah, maybe someone more clever than me, but I couldn't. So we're going to do a really dumb version. So basically where we start is with these same word embeddings, like the ones that word Tibet created. So every single word starts with like a single word embedding. But then what we do is we start adding in information. So the first bit of information that we add in is a weight to represent the position of a word in a sentence. So obviously we're looking at an input sentence here. I should clarify that. And then what we do an is, import sentence. What does that mean? Oh, the, in, the, input, input. Sorry, like so. Input. We're looking, okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. no. So, accent, accent. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we start with this sentence. We have word embeddings, so these vectors from like word to vec for each one. Okay. And then basically, we, we then add some information. So we weight those word embeddings based on where the word sits in the sentence. So you can see already we've got more information than we would have with a simple word to back model. But where the attention mechanism comes in and, and sort of where this sort of differentiates from something like word to back is what you do is you generate weights for each word in the sentence to represent how much its meaning or grammatical form is dependent on other words in the sentence. So it's a bit, it's a bit of a weird concept, but... No, I, I'm kind of grabbing it in the sense that it's like grammar. If this is mm-hmm. the subject of the sentence versus the, you know, the verb or, you know, the different kind of components, like if if this is just describing the other words, like, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of relationship between the words... Mm-hmm. do give them more power over one or another depending on how it's put together if it's you know you know depending how <laughs> it goes back to diagramming sentences <laughs> yeah 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 exactly okay. exactly and you can basically represent these relationships between words in you know just a matrix of values so it's like for the first word it will have the amount of attention it needs to pay to all of the other words in order to gain its meaning or grammatical form and so forth for every single word in the sentence and then you basically combine this information about the the word embeddings the the basic meaning of the word its position in the sentence and then how much it interrelates with all of the other words in the sentence to have its final meaning to get a final representation of that word within the context. Okay. 
you basically train these models in different ways. We'll kind of touch on a few different ways with BERT and with GPT. But the general idea is over many, many training examples, the model starts to not just internalize words, not just internalize word meaning, but it starts to internalize rules of language that we understand when we read. So this is sort of like what I was talking about. These models are iteratively over time gaining more and more of that internal understanding of what language is conveying when we read. It's pretty cool. I, it's, again, almost like magic, but it's, it's not. It's just math. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in the, in the sense that it sounds like the models are not having a single training session. They're, they're being sort of retrained and kind of, you know, almost like an athletic regimen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's a good way to think of it. So uh, to kind of give like a bit more of a step out and context about how deep learning models are trained, essentially all they are is like a bunch of interconnected layers and the layers uh, are, you know, the, the connections between the layers have weights. So if you ever see like model weights referred to, that's what it is in a deep learning context. So pretty much what happens is you start at, like when you start training a model, you just set the weights randomly and then you get the model to go through and like try and predict something and then it'll be wrong, but it'll try and work out, oh, okay, how wrong am I? And then it'll basically adjust the weights try again, adjust the weights, try again. So that's all these models are doing. Their internal representations are just weights. Cool. Yeah. So that that makes sense that it's nice that there's this flexibility in there then that is allowing it to um, expand in some ways, um, grow its mm-hmm. muscles, if you will. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, becoming, becoming a real language model. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So... I don't want to kind of spend too much more time like going into deep theory, but um, the kind of thing that you need to know is that attention is the basis of what you'll see called transformer models. And this is what you'll see this current generation of language models called. So it's just a particular way of putting together deep learning models in a way that, you know, is based around attention. So the ones that I want to talk about are BERT and GPT, as um, I said, in the last episode but i think you alluded to the fact that we have like a few (laughs) a few really fun names um yeah yeah yeah. definitely for especially for the burt ones (laughs) they're having you know i guess this is the one chance uh, a science people get a chance to to play around is in naming (laughs) so and and that's the thing i can actually tell you like from my time doing academic research if you can come up with a good acronym you are king man like people love that so <laughs> i can <Yeah>. imagine <laughs> there's that's funny. competing with each other cool so let's just kind of talk quickly about bert so bert basically is a general purpose language model and it's kind of designed to be like a swiss army knife of language models and you can use it along like across many many different tasks such as i don't know do you want to detect if a sentence is grammatically correct do you want to detect if question and answer pairs go together properly okay do you want to detect yeah like so the i can think of like a right away real world uses um things like grammarly or something like that exactly you know a tool that actually is identifying things like that okay mm-hmm. cool yeah 
And Bert was kind of the first of the Transformer models to really get like mainstream recognition. It was the first one I ever played with. And, um, and who created this one? This one's from Google. It's a 2018 model. Okay. It's funny now, like Bert was such a big deal when it came out. And now it's such a titchy little model <laughs> compared to like some of the stuff that's being used. But it's still like a really important and um, very accessible model to use. And I'll talk a little bit about, uh, or in a little bit, I'll talk about how you can use it yourself. Okay, nice. It's not not walled off from the general users. <laughs> no, no, definitely okay, not. Yeah. Definitely not. So the other one I wanted to talk about is GPT. So as we talked about last time, there are three de- different generations of GPT models. So GPT-1, 2, and 3. So GPT is not a general purpose model. It's a text generation model. And it was basically trained to generate the next word in a sentence. So so it's kind of the reverse in some ways. Um, it, it required other tools before it to be trained and, and built, but its goal is to actually output text as opposed to analyze what's coming in. Ex- well, I mean, I guess it kind of goes both ways. You got to prompt it. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it's funny, like text generation is like such a distinct task compared to, I would say, more traditional machine learning tasks. So like classification, it's really like, okay, Bert, Bert can do that for you. Okay. But GPT, it's very weird thinking about like text generation in the sort of context that I'm used to thinking about machine learning. It's a very other sort of task. Is that where the names kind of come in? Because Bert is what... Um bi-directional representation of text and then GPT is is that the generative generative mm-hmm. part of it pre-trained mm-hmm. pre-trained transformer okay. exactly exactly yeah and but it's also its name comes from how it was trained so basically it was trained in two ways it was trained to detect and try and predict a missing or masked word in a sentence okay like you you were saying the French the France trip <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But what they try and do is mask words that are in the middle of a sentence. So like, say you had two sentences, this masked is called Henry, he comes from Sydney, then uh, basically, Bert will need to use like quite a lot of information there. So he'll need to use not he, Bert is not a he. Um, the model will need to use. Could be, could be Roberta. Could be. <laughs> right. could be Roberta, could be Albert, could be Camembert. <laughs> yeah. But you can see that, you know, the masked word doesn't occur at the end of the sentence. It occurs sort of as the second word. So Bert would need to say, okay, there's words on either side. And also there's a he in the next sentence. So, you know, there's a good guess that the missing word is man. Okay. So, yeah. It's like intelligent Mad Libs. <laughs> intelligent Mad Libs, exactly. <laughs> yeah, all right. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another real Python video course. It's about a segment of data science involved in making predictions based on data. It's titled Building a Neural Network and Making Predictions with Python AI. The course is based on an article by Deborah Mesquita. And in the course, Douglas Starnes takes you through how both machine learning and deep learning play a role in AI, how a neural network functions internally, what are weights and vectors, how to reduce prediction error, and how to build a neural network from scratch using Python. 
Like most of the video courses on RealPython, the course is broken into easily consumable sections. You get code examples for the technique shown. And all courses have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the search tool on realpython.com. I kind of wanted to give maybe a bit of a taste of how far, you know, these models have come over you know, the last few years. So Yeah, that's what we started with in general, like the, the idea that, you know, mm-hmm. is this thing sentient, this chatbot? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so little story. So this this job that I was talking about in the last episode the, at the job board, I was very lucky to work with a lot of computational linguists and linguists, so people who were super, super interested in language. And you can still actually access this endpoint. There's a company called Hugging Face and they have this endpoint where you can input like sentence fragments or prompts and it'll use a bunch of different models, including GPT-2 to generate text for you. And the thing was, GPT-2 is great, but it has some limitations in how it actually generates text and detects the meaning of the prompts that you input. So let's uh, let's take an example of a prompt that I put in. So why do you want this job? So it's kind of a typical interview question. It has certain implications. There's a certain context. And what GPT-2 gave me is I'm a little frustrated about how hard it is to make your own money. Like, (laughs) okay. Like, grammatically, it makes perfect sense, but you would never say that. I mean, unless you're uh, a. uh, I'm trying to think of the term. Um, (laughs) If you're going to print your own money, (laughs) you're a criminal. It's kind of hard to to actually, quote unquote, make your own money. (laughs) I'm I'm interested in stealing money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What have you been training on GPT 2? Let's just cut cut right to the idea of printing it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But in contrast, GPT-3 also has an endpoint FYI. You can also play with that. And I'm going to share both of those links so you can uh, play with this yourself. So I put in the same prompt and I got absolutely beautiful pat answer. I want this job because it is a great opportunity to use my skills and abilities to make a difference in the life of others. Like, and there you go. uh, top of your resume. <laughs> exactly. But really the difference between these models is it's just the size of the data that's going into them. And this is sort of, I guess, the potential for these models. But I will talk about limitations as well as these models grow. One thing though is <laughs> I decided to see if GPT-3 can actually detect humor. So I said, uh, tell me a joke about data science. And it said, why did the data scientist break up with her boyfriend? And the answer was, because he didn't understand her love for big data. And I was just like, it's funny, but not for the reason that you think it should be. Wow. Yeah. So I, There's an there's a artist, a musician, and I, I love that he actually decided to name his, you know, his project Big Data. Oh, nice. <laughs> and it actually has some pretty good songs out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that maybe that was what happened. Exactly. You know? <laughs> it went over my head, GPT-3. Yeah, you missed the, the 
connotation in the <laughs> musical context. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> Outsmarted again. <laughs> that big data? Oh, I didn't know we we're talking about uh, an individual. <laughs> yeah, damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, so this leads me to how you can use these models. And this is actually a very interesting kind of conversation and debate that's coming up. BERT was trained, as I said, in 2018. At the time, it was considered a model that was sort of prohibitively expensive for individuals to train. So it used around 3 billion words. Apparently, it took four days on 64 tensor processing units, and it had an estimated training cost of $7,000. So you can imagine, you know, now that's going to be a lot cheaper. But probably still talking like several thousand dollars to train your own model like Bert from scratch. And most people don't have that sort of money. So now we're sort of entering the territory where most people are not going to be training their own transformer models from scratch. And this is where companies like Hugging Face come in. And this is where you can get your hands on transformer models and actually start using them. A lot of the models have been publicly released. Hugging Face is by far and away the best way to access them. So pretty much the way that most people do this is you take a pre-trained model, so one that Google or Hugging Face or OpenAI have trained, and what you do is you decide what you want to use it for. So it could be for text classification, it could be for grammar detection, um, you know, whatever you want to use it for. You just need to have a data set that you can fine-tune it on. Okay. So it's not necessarily going to be a generative thing. Like you could still be analyzing your projects and your your text if you want. Yeah, exactly. And this is why I wanted to stress, like BERT is a general purpose model and it's, you know, by no means the only one. Um, and there's also like this smaller versions of BERT that you can use. So, you know, you're not limited to using these enormous models. Basically, the advantage of fine-tuning these models is pretty much what it does is, remember how I said that neural nets are basically a whole bunch of interconnected layers? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much what you do is, or you don't do it, the package does it for you, is it adds an additional hidden layer to the end and it just has random weights. And you train the model to do the task that you want it to do. So you'll basically be like, here's a whole bunch of news articles. I'm going to pass them through the model and I want you to correctly predict whether it's a sports article or whether it's a crime article. And then basically it'll adjust the weights and pretty much people say that it takes about half an hour. You'll have a model that's tuned to your purpose, but you can harness kind of all of that knowledge that BERT or similar models have learned about how language functions. Okay, so that that's the training session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many pieces of material would you need to, to provide it? Because I would guess you know the half an hour is the, the you know training on several you know potential documents of input, mm. and then actually running the model, doing prediction after would not take as long. No, no. So like it really depends how many you have to train on. But again, like when when you're at the point where you have these models that have already been pre-trained and they've already learned huge amounts about language like in advance, 
the amount of data that you actually need for fine-tuning is a lot less. Okay. You're harnessing the the work that's gone in that whole pre- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're, exactly. um, you've You're able to pick uh, uh, somebody who is already an athlete, <laughs> and now Standing you're going to say... Standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, yeah. it's like, okay, I, I have this athlete, and now I would like them to play you know, soccer or I'd like them to play baseball mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. It's a beautiful analogy. And um, actually, if you're, uh, if anyone in the audience or you, Chris, are interested in learning more about this, there was this fantastic and very timely talk at a conference I went to a couple of weeks ago. So basically, this woman was talking about the fact that with the growth of these models, it's almost like we're seeing a shift in how accessible models are to use. Yeah. And so we'll get to this with GPT-3 in a second. But part of the problem is, you know, individual people can't be expected to to spend a few thousand dollars to train a BERT model. Like, it's really not feasible. Right. Or able to set up the machine to... Just do it. Exactly. Right. And like preparing the data even is like, it's yeah. not as Find, simple as just... Finding the words, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So as she was pointing out that there was this paper that came out, which is called um, Standing on the Shot. Standing on the shoulders of giant frozen language models. And it's okay. it's this exact same idea. Like it's amazing that we actually have these huge you know, very expensive, very powerful language models available to us that we can basically use, harness to our use case, and then reap all the benefits of. So yeah, it's it's super cool. So shall we have a chat about how people can try this at home? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, we kind of glossed over the... We, we talked a little more about BERT coming along its history and you know, that 2018 was kind of the the dawn of it, but GPT had been through several generations. I don't know the dates of them. I know GPT-3, uh, you have noted in our shared document that 2020 is is really the the dawn of GPT version 3. Because hmm. I remember uh, generative text being mentioned even, you know, six, seven, eight years ago mm-hmm. where they were like, Let's see if it can write a science fiction script, you know, based on mm-hmm. these other documents and so forth. And it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and now we have tools that are, you know, helping us, you know, write code and do other things uh, based all on this GPT-3 text. So that it, it definitely has moved a, you know, pretty far along as we've gone along. It's it's no longer the, the, the butt of a joke. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think this is actually a good segue to talk about GPT-3 and how much it costs to train. And I think we can probably dive a bit into Copilot and the discussions around that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We don't have to get too, like, the worry that I think a lot of people have about, oh, they're going to discuss you know, machine learning and AI and they're going to get into ethics and da, 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 mm-hmm. and it's going to become this big, mm-hmm. you know, hand wavy or, you know, clutching our pearls kind of thing. And it's like, <laughs> that's not my goal. I, I, no. I feel like, you know, we want to, you know, this stuff is out there. It's interesting. And yes, you know, any <laughs> technology can be used good or bad or it can be trained properly or improperly. Um, so, that's not really the discussion we're having here in this case. So we're much more interested in like, you know, 
let's check it out. Let's you mm-hmm. know, let's play with this stuff and and kind of learn from it, um, and then you know let you be the judge of where where this can be a useful tool or not. And it's it's not like you're not going to see it. It's it's around, and so it's, mm-hmm. we're hoping that there can be some context that you can get out of this, and it's not all purely buzzwords. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you can kind of see where all this you know, where a lot of this came from and then hopefully give you chances to do more research on your own. I've been sharing lots and lots of rabbit holes lately <laughs> as far as Python goes in ways that if, hey, you really want to learn like the grammar of Python, you know, things like that. Because mm. I find that interesting. You know, it's it's weird. Like I, <laughs> when I was in school, like I was very frustrated by the the classes that I was taking in English that were like sort of research classes. And I think it was mm-hmm. because of the way it was structured and I had to do it in their specific way and on their specific timeline. Mm-hmm. And this, what I'm doing now, is so much more fun for me that I can kind of yes. dive into all these different things. I can kind of bring people like yourself that have <laughs> been studying this and ask you questions and kind of try to come up with analogies and, and ways to think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, share places that people can can continue on and go with this as opposed to mm-hmm. me sitting there in a library and collecting note cards. And ugh. Oh, anyway, gosh, yeah. It's like the internet has come along and made all this way more fun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> all right. Well, cool. So, yeah, how do we... Uh, maybe you were going to mention two things there. One was the... Mm-hmm. We mentioned the the training budget, if you will, for Bert. Do you yes. want to talk about the GPT three thing, and then we can kind of go from there. Mm. So um, GPT three, basically. So I, I mentioned that Bert was around uh, three billion words. So GPT three was a hundred times that, around three hundred wow. billion words. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot and, of words. <laughs> but basically, Microsoft custom built them a special supercomputer. And I've seen estimates that it cost $5 million to train it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Big company has a chance to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they might be testing lots of other things at that process too, you know. And Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, the good news is you can actually still access GPT-3. It's just not as flexible as accessing something like BERT. So basically the way that OpenAI are doing it, the company that developed it, is they have an API and you pay per usage. So they have basically a pricing system that's based on the number of words or tokens that you want to process. So it's not as open as something like BERT, and I'll talk about how to use that in a second, but you can still through the API fine-tune this, you can use it for text generation and you know, it's not like this one's just behind a closed door and you can't access it at all. Okay, good. But the more fun one is models like BERT and all the ones that are available through the Transformers package from a Hugging Face. So Hugging Face have done a lot of work to try and, I think, democratize and make available a lot of these models in this current generation. And they have huge numbers of tutorials that allow you to fine-tune them for a whole bunch of processes. So just last week, I was playing with a tutorial 
on how to um, fine-tune one of the models. Um, it's called Distill Burt. It's basically a, a smaller version of Burt. And okay. yeah, yeah, get it to be able to do this sentiment analysis. So it's like super straightforward. Um, if you don't have like a computer that's powerful enough to run it, most people run it through CoLab. And basically, the notebooks are just set up ready for you to go through. So it's super accessible. You know, I, I think it's really exciting because when Bert first came out, I remember it was really confusing how to use it. Like the model was available. You could generate predictions from it, but there wasn't really much in the way of documentation. But now it's just like... okay. You have too much almost. Like, it's a bit overwhelming. Well, yeah, I just went to the page and I'm looking at it and I'm just in like one tab yeah. of Transformer Notebooks. Yeah. And it's a, it's huge. It's There are lots and lots of examples. That's great. Yeah. And then Colab is kind of, again, you're using other people's computers, which is kind of nice yeah. for that. So and you can kind of play around in it. But just even, you know, the fact that there are I don't know how many tabs, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, it I gets know. into a lot of the details we talked about, like, you know, text classification, token classification, mm-hmm. question answering, you know, modeling a languages, translation, you know, there's so many kind of directions you want to go. I, I spent some time, I had somebody on from Dolby Mm-hmm. And we were talking about audio, and so there's actually some stuff in here, which uh, it's interesting to think about, like how that connects. But audio classification and automatic speech recognition. So yeah, it's like wow. Okay, yeah, yeah. If you want to play, this is a great yes. <laughs> resource. Yeah, and I think this is one of those things that I would say: look, don't be intimidated. Don't worry about all the theory because it is a bit dense. You don't need to understand it all. You really just need to understand that what you're starting with is a general purpose model that's designed to model language. And what you're trying to do is to tune it for a specific purpose. So again, don't be overwhelmed or feel like you need to like understand the architecture of transformer models inside and out. It's just, again, Python is pure love and it makes it super easy to do. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I'm excited to come in, come back and play with some of these. I didn't know there were so many <laughs> resources. I know, I know. <laughs> I think I actually didn't realize there were so many resources until I was looking around to like put stuff together for the podcast. And I was like, holy moly, Like this has yeah. changed quite a bit since last time I looked at it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so yeah, maybe we can sort of round out by just having a discussion about Copilot, but not... I don't think I really want to discuss it that much from an ethics point of view. We can sort of touch on that, but more from, I guess, an applications point of view, because I think this is one of the most well-publicized applications of GPT-3 that I've seen. Yeah, and it's definitely coming up all the time in conversations about, you know, developers and Python and and so forth. And Mm -hmm. I got my invitation finally oh, yay. <laughs> so so i can play with it if i want yeah. i haven't quite yet the pricing is interesting mm. again we can get out of the ethics of that and, mm. and, and so forth but um, there's been lots of conversations on that yeah 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 <laughs> and i mentioned this to you uh, in our previous before our previous episode one of the funnier things that i saw was this sort of auto completion thing that was happening uh, somebody was looking at javascript and they were you know, looking at like a comment string. And so they typed out like, I don't, 
And then they were looking at all the different ways that it was auto-completing it, kind of the way Google would do that for you for, uh, you know, kind of auto-completing the different directions you could go, <laughs> the vectors, if you will. And so it was like everything from like, I don't know what this does to, I, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> so these are comments in people's JavaScript code. It, was, it got dark. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know if I could find that link, uh, that uh, tweet I'll. <laughs> I'll include a link to it, but yeah, the you know, it's interesting because it. So it's it's based on GPT three, mm. so it's sort of inside the, if you will, Microsoft um, <laughs> umbrella. Yeah, 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 kind of. So yeah, OpenAI is not owned by Microsoft, but they have invested heavily in them. So then you know, obviously assisted them with the computer. So. Yeah. yeah, basic. And then GitHub is is a subsidiary now, right? So yeah, 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 yeah. So all part of the same family. So yeah, it's a model that was a fine tuning of GPT three called OpenAI Codex, and they took a whole bunch of publicly available code on GitHub and other code from other places, and just used it to teach. GPT-3, how to generate code. Um, it's actually interesting because if you, again, play with the endpoint of GPT-3, you can actually generate fairly decent Python code. It's kind of amazing. I actually got, so there's a very well-known tutorial in machine learning called, oh, it's not a tutorial, it's a data set called the iris data set and yeah i've seen that before yeah, yeah yeah so basically i think the prompt i typed in was you basically type it in like a doc string and i typed in create a classifier using the iris data set and it generated the entire thing <laughs> i was just like yeah. and that was with gpt3 that wasn't with copilot or open ai codex so i was like whoa <laughs> yeah, pretty wild. Yeah. Although there was another one I tried that was more complicated and it generated comments that said, insert your code here. <laughs> and I was like, helpful, thank you. <laughs> yeah, they included the dot, dot, dot for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to completely go off on another tangent, but mm. the idea of it, you know, being this, if you will, general purpose is you can aim it in other directions. So like you said, this could be toward aiming it toward code mm. and specific, you know, languages. Uh, I would guess, you know, as you type in, in a particular style, I, I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> Again, I guess by naming the file type that you're doing, it's going to, you know, choose its choices of how mm -hmm. to answer here. But somebody was, I found this article that was talking about how to, do the same thing toward like it solving math problems mm -mm. and, you know, like train it on, you know, m mathematical papers and, and so forth and kind of seeing what they can kind of get out of it. And I mean, that's what's very interesting about all this is that you know, it, it is a, is a direction of research. It doesn't have to be words or, mm -mm. you know, just identifying sentiment or, or things yeah. like that. It, you could be using yeah. it for, you know the generative purposes or classifying mm. other things, and I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Mm, mm. I, I've I've thought about it a lot. A lot of times toward music. Yeah, most generative music has been pretty terrible mm. that I've heard. There are some really neat 
things I've heard lately where they've gotten some interesting stuff. Like there's this program that I really like uh, called Reason. That's a software tool. And they had this thing called the baseline generator. And the idea is <laughs> if you're a musician and you're like a guitarist or a keyboardist, probably one of the hardest things to do outside of getting drums mm-hmm. is trying to figure out what a bass player would play. And, and usually what you end up doing is really simple and generic. And you're like, play the root note. And, you know, just, you know, it ends up being really boring. Mm-hmm. And this thing analyzed, you know, how all these different players might play a certain type of music. And then you can kind of dial in what you want. You know, you can choose, do you want it to be more on key or off key? So again, kind of getting that parameterization of it. Mm. And I was just impressed. And I don't believe it's using things like machine learning. I think it's more been kind of their own way of ripping mm. apart, like all these performances and kind of thinking of like where things land. But, but it, it it's interesting. Like, that all these tools are sort of kind of coming out recently. Mm. I mean, we didn't even get into it, but is there a relationship between some of this and the the artwork stuff? The I'm so glad you asked. I was just about to mention that. So yes, Dali, this like amazing new like image generation. It's also a transformer model. Oh, it is so, a transformer. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people are touting like big things for the future of transformer models. I can totally see it. I'm I'm on the wait list for Dali too. I really want to get access. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, the stuff I've seen from it. Um, lots of weird little examples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I kind of feel like the Dali prompts say more about psychology than they do about machine learning. <laughs> Yeah, I, love them. I mean, I guess you could do that. Analyze <laughs> what are people entering into here? You know. Oh my yeah, god, so. I could fine tune GPT on Dali prompts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now we're back to cats again. <laughs> we're back to cats. Always comes back to it. Um, cats and dogs. But yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like one of the reasons that I guess I wanted to get into Copilot and like have you bring up these uh, sort of math uh, paper specialization, uh, sorry, math paper refinement is like, I think this can get people's imagination really fired up about what you can do with these models. And like they're very powerful tools. And again, you just have them there. You can just use them in this Transformers package and it's not that complicated. So, yeah, like get excited if this sort of stuff interests you. It's it's very accessible. Cool. And so again, we're if you haven't dug into our show notes in the past, please come and check them out. We have lots and lots of links either on um, realpython.com/podcast or if you have a you know a, a player, and it, it's nice to know that things like Spotify and most of the other good players uh, have the show notes in the in the. <laughs> In there, so you can kind of check out the links. I, I know that probably looking at them from your phone inside like a phone, you know, the player's browser is not the best, but the links are there. Please check them out. And what I wanted to do is is maybe think about, th- these are the types of topics that we'd like to kind of dig into a little bit more. If there are areas that you're interested in us exploring more, let me know. You know, I've been getting lots of really great uh, communications through the website and it's been helping me kind of figure out directions for the podcast. And please let me know. I uh, have a few more listener uh, guests coming up in the future. I have an idea for doing a, one about 
um, some of the projects that people are working on, um, which I think is a great way to kind of share <laughs> what the community is <laughs> doing with this. Are there, I, I know that a lot of this is newer. Uh, were you using any of these tools in your previous job? Like were you using BERT or any of the GPT versions in the tools that you were developing? Mm, so yes, not be, not GPT, but basically um, I worked on a project. It was pretty cool actually. So pretty much what we were trying to do was to generate a kind of ontology, like a database of words that were relevant to search in the job sphere. Yeah, the job. And, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we had a team of very talented linguists building this manually, but we wanted one way, like some way of like getting terms in faster, like, you know, blockchain or Rust developer sooner than they could manually add them. So what we were thinking of doing was building some sort of, you know, vector space, which contained all of these words and their relationships to each other. But using word to vec wasn't really feasible because, you know, same same word always collapses on the same meaning and the models don't know what to do with new terms. So we were experimenting with BERT actually to try and represent terms and get their relationships to each other. And we did a POC, but I left before the project, you know, uh, developed a little bit further. Okay. So you're, you're involved in some of the early legwork, kind of mm. researching how this might connect things together. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a fun project, actually. Yeah. Nice. Well, last time we left off talking about some of the the talks and things that were coming up. Hmm. Maybe we could just do a general. How can people follow the things that uh, that you do online? Yeah, so um, I'm very active on Twitter. So my handle is t underscore redactyl um yes i was obsessed with dinosaurs as a child and yes i do think <laughs> jurassic park is one of the greatest movies ever made <laughs> and i also have a blog uh similar name so t-redactyl.io um so i'm guessing we can just share those in the the show notes because yeah absolutely the, the spelling is the spelling is a bit ridiculous so i have actually quite a few blog posts about natural language processing tasks how to use word to vec in particular so yeah, feel free to rummage through my archive. Let me know if there's anything interesting. Cool. Awesome. Well, Jody, thanks again for coming on the show. It's always fun talking to you. Yes, I really enjoyed my time. And thanks so much for having me on. I want to thank Jody Birchall for coming on the show this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, Remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.